Psalm 145. Now, just kind of a quick word about this psalm. It's a psalm of David, and as I've told you every week, it's a Hebrew acrostic, which means if you're reading this in Hebrew, you'd see that every stanza begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It starts with the first letter, and it works successively through the alphabet with each stanza. So that helps you to understand this is very well organized. David put a lot of thought into writing this psalm, starting each successive stanza with the next letter, in the Hebrew alphabet. It's really beautiful how it's put together. I think there are seven, maybe eight Hebrew acrostics in the book of Psalms, and this is the last one in the book of Psalms, and it's really powerful. And I believe the thesis of Psalm 145, the the major point of Psalm 145 is found in verse 3, where David writes, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. That's the point of this psalm. That's why David's writing it, so that we see that God is great, that His greatness is unsearchable. That's why we've titled the study, How Great Is Our God? And this psalm lists just different attributes, different characteristics of the Lord. And so we've been walking through the different attributes one by one. For example, we've talked about God's power. We've talked about God's goodness. We've talked about God's love. We've talked about God's mercy. We've talked about God's Grace. We've talked about God's transcendence and eminence. We've talked about all these different attributes of God, and it's just been a fascinating study. And I just want to encourage you at the beginning of the study as to how important all of this is. This is a big deal because we're studying God. Is there any more important reality in the universe than God? Is there? No. So the most important thing we can do is study Him, the ultimate reality of the universe. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. If you'll allow me, I'll quote it yet again. He said in a sermon, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. And and so what Spurgeon is saying here, by the way, these words come from a sermon that he preached when he was 20 years old. He just was had a special anointing of God on his life. But... Uh, But what Spurgeon is saying is the most important thing you can do is study God. A.W. Tozer said it like this, What a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. Think about that. What a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person because what you think about God is going to determine how you act, right? What you're going to do, how you treat people, uh, everything. And so... It is, it is of utmost importance that we have a right view of God, a biblical view of God, and understand who He is and adjust our lives accordingly. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the faithfulness of God. And this will be so encouraging to you tonight, I hope. I think you will be really blessed by our walk through the Word and looking at different passages that speak of God's faithfulness. But let's look at it there in Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 13. Last week we talked about the sovereignty of God. We talked about His kingdom being an everlasting kingdom. Verse 13, your dominion endures throughout all generations. Now look what it says next. The Lord is faithful. Everybody say faithful. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. And then he begins to kind of write some things that exemplify the faithfulness of God. For example, verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. 
the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. So God is faithful in providing. You open your hand, verse 16. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to, the, to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And so we see here just these different verses that speak of God's faithfulness in providing, in protecting, in saving, in helping uh, his people. And so I want to talk to you about the faithfulness of God. And I want to begin with a, a quote from A.W. Pink where he speaks of how this doctrine is so important for us to understand. He writes, Unfaithfulness is one of the most outstanding sins of these evil days. In the business world, a man's world, a word is, with rare exceptions, no longer his bond. In the social world, marital infidelity abounds on every hand. The sacred bonds of wedlock are broken with as little regard as discarding an old garment. In the ecclesiastical realm, that's the church, thousands who have solemnly covenanted to preach the truth have no scruples about attacking and denying it. Nor can reader or writer claim complete immunity from this fearful sin. How many ways have we been unfaithful to Christ and to the light and privileges which God has entrusted to us? How refreshing then, how refreshing then, and how blessed to lift our eyes above this scene of ruin and behold one who is what? Faithful, faithful in all things at all times. Times. And so when you look around at the world and you see the unfaithfulness of humanity, you look at your own life and see where you have blown it, where you have sinned, where you have lived in, un, in an unfaithful way, unfaithful to the Lord, but, but you lift your eyes above that and see the faithfulness of God. It is so encouraging and refreshing uh, uh, in our lives. And so it's important that we study this doctrine of the faithfulness of God. So let me just begin with the definition. This comes from Wayne Grudem and his systematic theology. I think it's a good definition of the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness means that God will always, always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. Do you believe that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that, then you, then you believe in the faithfulness of God because that's what we are saying by that statement. So what I want to do is I want to give you four reasons that you can count on God, four reasons that you can rely on God's faithfulness. And then I want to give you some implications for our lives, how this ought to affect the, our perspective, the way that we live our lives. So let's begin with Four reasons that you can count on God. Four reasons that God is faithful and we can trust Him. Number one, faithfulness is inherent in His nature. In other words, it's just who God is. That's just part of His character. He is just faithful. That's that's who He is. Turn over to Psalm 34 with me. Psalm 34, verse 6. The Bible says, 
This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord uh, encamps uh, around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man who takes refuge in him. And so God is, is faithful in that he hears us when we cry. It's just who he is. Turn over to Psalm 89, verse 8. Psalm 89, verse 8. says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty, who is a question, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. That that terminology speaks of a garment. So God wears faithfulness like a garment. It's just who he is. He is surrounded by, he is robed in faithfulness. And so faithfulness is inherent in his nature. That's just who God is. That's why you can count on him. Secondly, and this is related, he doesn't change. So if we can say that God was faithful to Moses or faithful to Abraham, then we can say that God is faithful today too because God doesn't change, right? Over in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says that God changes not. God says, I'm the Lord, I change not. That speaks of the, of the immutability, if you want to hear that theological term, the immutability of God. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God was faithful way back then in Bible times, guess what? He's faithful today too because he doesn't change. If he's faithful today, he's going to be faithful tomorrow. Why? Because he doesn't change. And so faithfulness is who he is. It's in his nature and he doesn't change. So he will always be faithful. Here's the third reason you can count on God. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. If you look over the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 1. Let's look in verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, notice that, who never lies, promised before the ages began, that the proper time manifested in his word, the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. And so he's saying there that God had a plan to rescue sinners before time even began, even before there was the first sin uh, committed by Adam and Eve. God already had a rescue plan in place. And that, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? God knew that you would sin, and God already had a plan in place before creation ever happened to save you. And it says here, he had the plan in place, and the plan came to fulfillment, Paul is saying, in your life when you got saved. That plan he had for you, it, it came to fulfillment in your life when you placed your faith in Christ. Why? Because God doesn't lie. If he told you he'll provide salvation, guess what? He always comes through because God cannot. It's not that he just doesn't. He cannot lie because of his, of his faithful, righteous nature. He cannot lie. And then another statement about a reason you can count on God. His faithfulness is not contingent upon our performance. Look over in 2 Timothy. You're close if you're in Titus. Turn over just a page to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, right before Titus. Look at 
Look what it says in verse 11. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So here's what he's saying. When we, when we blow it and we are faithless, guess what? God's nature doesn't change. He is still faithful, and he still does what he says he's going to do. He still comes through on his promises because he is faithful. So even when we're faithless, God is still faithful. His faithfulness is not contingent upon our performance. 2 Timothy 2.13 So those are four reasons that you can count on God. They all tie into his nature and character of faithfulness. But let's talk about implications for our lives. What does this look like? What, what does it mean for us that God is faithful? How does that affect us? on a day-by-day basis? What's this going to look like on Thursday morning or Saturday afternoon or you know, Monday at lunch? How's this going to affect your life, your perspective, uh, the way that you view God and view your circumstances? Well, let me give you these statements. I haven't counted them. There's a lot there, but we'll go through them quickly. Number one, we can build our lives upon His Word. Because God is faithful, we can build our lives upon His Word. His Word is trust is a trustworthy authority for our lives. Look what it says in Psalm 119. I love Psalm 119. The longest psalm in the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible. And the entire psalm is about the Word of God. And look what it says in Psalm 119, verse 138. Actually, back at verse 137. By the way, this is a Hebrew acrostic as well. Each section starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, if you look in your Bible, see the word sade there, T-S-A-D-H-E. Maybe spelled different in your translation, but see the word sade? That's a, that's a Hebrew alphabetic letter. So this is a Hebrew acrostic. Psalm 119, verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Because God is righteous, any rule he makes is right. Right? Because he defines right and wrong. Look at the next verse. You have appointed your testimonies, your word, in righteousness and in all what? Faithfulness. And so his word uh, emanates from him. And because God is faithful, his word is faithful. You can count on his word. It is a trustworthy authority for your life. Now, in our culture, there are all sorts of 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 folks and ideas and worldviews that are clamoring for our attention, right? Clamoring for us to bow under their authority. But I want you to know that the only trustworthy authority is the Word of God because it emanates from His faithfulness. So we can build our lives upon His Word because God is faithful, His Word is faithful, and it ought to be the final, ultimate authority for what we believe and what we do. The Bible is our absolute standard for ministry, for, for family life, for individual Christian walk. The Bible is our ultimate authority for faith and practice. We, listen to me. We need to take the Bible more seriously in our churches. We really do. Because it, 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 it comes from God's faithfulness. This uh, past week I was in a, I was in a, um, a conference, church planting conference, and, and I was uh, in a platform discussion during one of the corporate sessions. I was on a, a stage, uh, on a panel. I was on a panel discussion. 
And they were asking us questions, and we were answering the questions. And I was sitting by a guy who was a guest speaker at the conference. And he told this story. He said uh, that this pastor friend he knew uh, was called to a church. He was mentored. The pastor friend was mentored by the same guy he was mentored by. So this, you know, the little triangle of friends here. And, and this guy, um, new to the church, went to his mentor and said, he said, God told me that for six months I'm not supposed to study the Bible for sermons. He said, he said God told me that on my way to the pulpit for six months, every Sunday, he would give me my sermon on the way to the pulpit. And I would just get up there, open the Bible, and start preaching. And this guy, telling the story, I'm sitting there listening to him, and he's right beside me. And this guy, in uh, a very dramatic way, says, his people saw him preach left-handed. And he says, the Lord gave him their hearts. And the congregation there at this conference went, oh, like that's such a powerful truth. And I was sitting there looking at him, and I was thinking, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I almost said, I'm, I, it's probably good I didn't say it. Um, I didn't have the floor. But, but, um, but that's ridiculous because, listen to me, why would God say something that goes against what he's already said? You know what God said in 2 Timothy 2.15? He said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. Listen, rightly handling the word of truth. How can you walk up to the pulpit, from the chair to the pulpit, and know you're accurately preaching the word of God if you haven't studied? Listen, that, 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 God didn't say that. God didn't say that. God, God already spoke, and he said, study the Bible. All right? So if I ever try to pull that on you, you know what you need to say? You need to say, up, uh, unacceptable, Wade. The Bible is God's word. It stems from his faithfulness. It is the final authority of faith and practice. Get in your study and study and then come back and preach to us. Amen? All right. So, so just, there's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. And what bothered me is not just that the guy said it, but it was how the people in the, the audience responded. They were moved by that. And I thought, how ridiculous. That is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It really was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I'm not being mean. It's just it's dumb. It really was. And so we've we got to say, listen, we need to place the highest premium on the study, the, the, the right interpretation, rightly dividing the word of truth because God wants us to dig in and present it correctly. Amen? All right, I just thought I'd share that. That was extra, that little story. So, so because God is faithful, we can build our lives upon his word. But to do that, we got to know what the Bible says, hence the study part. Okay? All right. Good. I got that off my, I feel better now. I really do. It's kind of like therapy. I, it has been bothering me all week, and I told you, and I feel a lot better by that. Okay. Here's the second thing. Second implication for our. By the way, something like that. I'm, I'm not done yet. When somebody says something like that, it sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? But you know how you measure spirituality by the Word of God. And I don't, listen to me. I don't care how spiritual something sounds. You measure it by the Word of God. And if it doesn't line with the Word of God, then it's, it's false spirituality. Right? Listen, I, I don't want to get off on this, it, but there's been a lot, of, there's been a lot of, 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 of well-known authors and preachers talking about all that's going to happen in September, and it didn't happen. So who was wrong? Them or God? Them. And, and and all these all these books, they're bestsellers, and this is going to happen over here, and it's going to happen here, and there's moons in the sky, and all this kind of stuff. Listen to me, they're selling like hotcakes. 
but they're not accurate. And it sounds spiritual. Just because somebody's talking about God doesn't mean they're accurate. You measure it by the word of God. And listen, when it comes to the end times, what did Jesus say? No one knows when it's going to happen. So if somebody starts telling you it's going to happen in September, this is going to usher this in or whatever, they're lying. Go with what Jesus said. All right? Okay, I got it off my chest now. I'm better. I'm better. Okay. So we build our lives upon his word because God is faithful. No matter how spiritual something sounds, you test it by the word of God. All right? And I hope I didn't hurt anybody's feelings there. If I did, come talk to me. We'll, we'll, I, I love you. You know I do. But, but I, I feel like I need to warn our folks a little bit on some of this stuff because, just be, listen, just, okay, I'm not done yet. Just because it's on a, a shelf at the Christian bookstore or just because they're on a Christian TV channel or radio station doesn't make it accurate. You test it, listen, by the Word of God. All right? Everything goes back to the Word of God. What I say, what I preach on Sundays or Wednesday, go back to the Word. Don't just take my Word. It should be tested by the Word of God. So, now, I'm done. Let's go to the next one. Next implication for our lives. We can stand on His promises. We can stand on His promises. Because He's faithful, we can, we can take what He says to the bank. Uh, Hebrews 10.23 is a good example of this. Look what it says over in Hebrews 10.23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering. So we can take what God said about our salvation to the bank. If you believe in Christ, you have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. We can hold fast to that hope. Why? Look what he says. For he who promised is what? Faithful. The reason we can have hope and peace and joy and security and fulfillment in this life is because God has made some promises to us. And because he's faithful, he always comes through on his promises. Now, there have been times in my life I've promised something to someone and I didn't come through. How about you? Anybody ever let somebody down on your promise? Uh, we all have because, you know, we're, we, we, we mess up sometimes. But listen, when God makes a promise, He always, always, always comes through because He is faithful. And so we can stand on his promises. Let me show you a, a neat, and there are a lot of these in Scripture. Let me show you just one neat fulfillment of, 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 of a promise. And it, and it took hundreds of years for it to come to fulfillment, but it still came to fulfillment. Look over in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. We're going to go a little bit faster now. Y'all, y'all, y'all got me off track with that last discussion, all right? Genesis 15. What it says in verse 13, it says, God in his covenant with Abraham, the Lord said to Abram, now he's in the, the promised land as he's speaking to him here, the land that God promised to give him. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for how long? 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. 
So did God come through? Did, did this happen? Did his people go to another country? Were they slaves there? Did it last 400 years? Did he bring them back to the promised land? Well, let's look. Look over with me in Exodus chapter 12. The next book, Exodus chapter 12. It says, uh, back at verse 39, Exodus 12, verse 39. They baked, this is the Passover, when when God delivers His people people from Egypt into the promised land. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt, could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Isn't that interesting? At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And so, exactly what God said is exactly what happened. And God came through on His promise. He, he brought His people, Abraham's descendants, from Egypt, uh, Egyptian slavery back into the promised land. 400 years. Do you think maybe year number 200 people were saying, okay, I wonder if this is really going to happen. But 400 years... It happened. And so God makes promises. He keeps his promises. We can stand on his promises. That's why I like that, that old hymn, Standing on the Promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. I'm so grateful for his promises. Number three, we can trust in his protection. Because God is faithful, we can trust in his protection. This is a cool verse. Look over in Second Thessalonians with me. 2 Thessalonians, the Bible says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. So he's saying, hey, pray because we're, we're trying to you know, do the work of the ministry, trying to get back to you. And he says, just pray for us that we may, may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, they're enemies of God out there. Verse 3, but the Lord is, what's that word? Faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And so Paul, even though he was surrounded by enemies and hardship, Paul had utmost confidence in God's faithfulness to protect him. Paul understood, I I taught this last week, Paul understood that nothing could touch his life unless God allowed it. And that's the same for you, child of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, listen to me, nothing can touch you unless God allows it. And if God allows it, he has a purpose for it. He's going to use it somehow in your life for something good and for his glory. And so we can trust in his protection. We know that if we are in Christ, we are in his hands and nothing can touch us unless God allows it. And why can we trust his protection? Because he is faithful, right? He always comes through. Next, we can escape temptation. Because of his faithfulness. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Important verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. I'm telling you, verse 12 is a, is a really important verse. It can help a lot of folks. Listen to what it says. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words... Don't ever get to a place in your Christian life where you say, whatever happened to old so-and-so can never happen to me. 
That's dangerous. When people have that kind of spiritual pride, they are a target for the enemy. We always need to be on guard. As Bob Record said in his uh, book, Beneath the Surface, we're all just one step away from stupid. We are. We're one unguarded moment from doing something that is really catastrophic and can destroy our witness and destroy lives around us and destroy our lives. We're all just one step away from stupid. So we need to be vigilant. I'm sorry for saying stupid so much tonight. So much tonight. I usually don't do that. Um, I don't let my kids say that. But, but, so I'll try to do better. But we're all just one step away from bad decisions. How's that? All right? And so we need to be on guard. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now look in the next verse. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, we all deal with temptation. Now everybody look at me for a moment. Temptation is not sin. You know how we know that? Because Jesus was tempted and he was without sin. Right? Temptation is not sin. It's a temptation to try to get us to sin. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But here's the deal. God is, here it is again, faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. So here's what he's saying. When you are tempted to do the wrong thing, God in his faithfulness always, always provides for you a way out. So when you find yourself in a tempting moment, you're tempted to compromise, tempted to give in, tempted to do the wrong thing, you need to say, God, you're faithful. And I know, based upon the authority of your word, based upon your character and nature, I know that there's a way out. And so instead of just gazing at the temptation, being lured by the temptation, begin to look for the escape route. Amen? And then when you find it, you know what you do? This is spiritual. You run. You get away from the situation, right? You get out of Dodge. That's what you do. And so God is faithful. And because he is faithful, he always provides a way of escape from temptation. In other words, when you find yourself in a, in a tempting situation, you do not have to sin. Because God's provided a way of escape. Why? He's faithful. He's faithful. Here's the next thing. Because he's faithful, we can escape temptation. But next, we can experience daily cleansing. When we sin as believers in Christ, we can be cleansed from that. Now, kind of a quick word here before we read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. When you are a child of God... Sin does not separate you from your relationship with God. Once you're his child, all your sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus, even sins that you were in your future when you accepted Christ. So when I was nine years of age and I called upon the name of the Lord, he saved me and his blood washed away all my sins, even the sins I would commit on this day at age 39. Right? They're all under the blood. They're all forgiven. So when I embrace Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, my sins are all washed away and nothing will ever break my relationship with God. He's my father. I'm his child. That will never change. That's why I can say I have eternal life now. I'm not waiting for eternal life. I have eternal life now. Because I have a relationship, an unbreakable relationship with God as my father. And John says nothing or no one can snatch us out of his hand. Adrian Rogers made a comment one day. And I just thought that is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. He said, he said if Satan could snatch you out of God's hand don't you think you would have already done it? Think about that. If it was possible for Satan to snatch you out of God's hand, he would have already done it, right? 
but he can't do it. No one or nothing can snatch you out of God's hand. So, what does sin do for Christians? When we're, when we're saved, we're forgiven, we're going to heaven. There's no barrier between us and God now. It's been, it's been washed away by the blood of Jesus. We have a relationship with God that will never be broken. What does sin do? Sin never breaks our relationship with God, but it does disrupt our fellowship with God, our closeness with God. For example, if, if I went in uh, to my dad's house and... Uh, I said something disrespectful to him as my dad. He'd still be my dad, right? But there'd be some coolness. I know Buddy Humphreys. There'd be some, he didn't do disrespect well. There'd be some coolness in the fellowship, right? And if that happened, for me to restore that closeness with my father, I'd have to say, Dad, you know, I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. I, I don't want to disrespect you. I want to I be close to you. And so, Dad, would you forgive me? And he would, and we'd be close father and son once again. That's how it worked from a human perspective. Same way, it's the same way in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we sin as believers, we are, in essence, disrespecting Him, aren't we? We're disrespecting our Father. We're ignoring His will and way for our lives. And, and that sin, it doesn't break our relationship because that'll never, that'll never be broken. We're eternally secure in Christ. But it does affect our fellowship. And so when you have that sin in your life that is disrupting that closeness with God, God has given us a way to deal with it. It's called confession. Look what it says in 1 John 1, 9. The Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Notice the word faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the promise of Scripture. If you're a believer in Christ and you've got sin in your life that's disrupting your closeness with God, if you ask God to cleanse you and wipe the slate clean because he is faithful, he will always do it. New beginnings are always available with God. Isn't that incredible? It's always available. If you'll just ask him to cleanse you, he will, he'll cleanse your heart. It's like David said in Psalm 51 after he committed adultery and murder. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Prayer of repentance, confession. And so when we go to God, now this is important because some of you out there tonight are living under guilt from stuff in your past. And it's weighing on you. I like to say it like this, you can't get past your past. And it's just weighing on you. And you you're a believer, you know Christ, you've been saved. But man, that thing back then, you know, last year or 10 years ago or last week or whatever, it's, it's, you, you, you just can't, it's just weighing on you, right? Weighing on you. This verse says, God's faithful. Listen to me. If you went to him and said, God, I blew it. I, I sinned. By the way, the word confess there in the Greek language is the word homo legeo. It's a compound word. Homo means the same. Legeo means to speak. So the word means to speak the same thing about. So when you confess your sins, you're saying about your sin the same thing God says about your sin. No excuses. It was a sin. I blew it. God, I blew it. It's not how I want to live my life. I know it's disrespectful. I know it's broken our closeness. So God, I don't want to do that. So God, I confess it. I don't want it, I don't want it in my life anymore. Would you clean up my heart? And help me to do better. That's called confession. When you do that, that fellowship is restored. But this promise of God's faithfulness means this, this wonderful grace of, of cleansing is always available. And if you asked him, listen to me, if you asked him to cleanse your heart and God is faithful, what did he do? 
What did he do? Let's try this again. If you ask him to cleanse your heart and God is faithful, what did he do? Right, because he's faithful, right? He always comes through. And so if that's the case, you're hanging on to stuff that God's not hanging on to. Does that make sense? God's buried it into a sea of forgetfulness. He's cleansed your heart. He's helping you if you rely upon him daily to go in a different direction. And so we've got to take God at his word and say, God, because you are faithful, I don't have to live under the past anymore. I confessed it, and God, I believe what your word says. You lifted it off my shoulders and my heart. You restored our fellowship, our closeness, and you gave me a a cleaned-up heart. That is the beauty of confession. Now, I believe, and this is anecdotal. I've never done any surveys on this, but I believe this is probably one of the most under-practiced disciplines in the church today. I believe that a lot of Christians are just trying to make it through life, and they're walking around with all this junk in their heart they've never confessed. And they're far from God and they know it. And they're, they're, they feel weighed down by it. But they just never stop and say, God, I blew it. Created me a clean heart. And I'm telling you, there's such freedom when you confess your sins before God. God gave it to us as grace so that we could have that, that restored closeness with Him. And so because God is faithful, if you ask him to cleanse your heart, if you ask him to forgive you, what will he do? Amen. Next, because God is faithful, we can trust him in the midst of trouble. Oh, this is so important. Because God is faithful, we can trust him in the midst of trouble. Look in Psalm 119, back to my favorite psalm, Psalm 119, verse 68. We're going to wind down here in a few minutes, but Psalm 119... It says there in verse 68, You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good. Now look at this verse. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In other words, when you allowed me to go through hard times, it got my attention and I got serious about your word. Have you ever known that to be the case? You're kind of just floating through life, and all of a sudden you go through something difficult, and all of a sudden you want to get in the Word, don't you? You start praying all of a sudden, haven't prayed in a while, you want to read the Bible. And the, and the psalmist says, it was good that I was afflicted because it drove me to your Word. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your, your, your Word is more valuable than, than money. Your hands, verse 73, have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I've hoped in your word. Now look in verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness, there it is again, the faithfulness of God, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. You won't hear that on Joel Osteen. I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm preaching from anger tonight. I didn't need to do better, all right? Pray for me my anger issues. But, but when you hear a lot of these TV health and wealth preachers, it's all about, hey, God wants you to have the new car. God wants you to have the bigger house. God wants you to give you the promotion. And, and if you just have the right amount of faith and you sow seed into my ministry, then things are going to go great for you. 
God may have ordained affliction in your life. Because he wants to accomplish something that could not be accomplished apart from affliction. And notice what the psalmist says. Just because I'm afflicted doesn't mean you stop being faithful, God. This affliction is a reflection of your faithfulness. Now listen to me. It takes real Christian maturity to say that. It takes takes Christian maturity to get to a place in your life where you can say, this affliction, this hardship is a reflection of your faithfulness, O God. Isn't that what the psalmist said? That's what he said. Look what he says. Verse, uh, where was it? 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Your afflictions are reflections of your faithfulness and you're going to somehow use the hardship in my life. That's what he's saying. And so sometimes following Jesus and asking God to work in your life is going to take you down some difficult roads. But God ordains those for your ultimate good. So let's stop listening to these health and wealth preachers and read the Bible. Amen? Read some Apostle Paul and, you know, Apostle John and some of that stuff. The the Bible, the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so because God is faithful, we we can... Trust in the midst of trouble. Let me show you one more verse related to this. First uh, Peter chapter 4. Awesome verse. Now, the affliction that the psalmist was talking about in Psalm 118 was affliction caused by God to do something in his life. But sometimes we, uh, we're afflicted because people around us are just evil. And look what it says in First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 19, he's talking about suffering in this, in this book, people that have suffered because of persecution. And look what he says about suffering because of persecution in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. There it is again, a faithful creator while doing good. So if you're going through hardship because you're surrounded by people that hate God and hate you, don't despair and trust your soul to God because he is faithful. And so because God is faithful, we can trust him in the midst of trouble. Amen? That's important because some folks, when times get hard, they think God is out to get them or whatever. And instead of running to God, they run from God. Because they don't understand that affliction is a reflection of his faithfulness. And God's going to somehow use that in their life. And so this is important. We get this reality. Here's another thing about faithfulness. Because God is faithful, we can expect His faithfulness daily. Turn to Lamentations, right after the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament. Lamentations chapter 3. The entire book is Jeremiah mourning over the condition of his people. The people of God, the Hebrew people, had turned their back to God, and God had sent devastating judgment through the Babylonian Empire. And, and, and Jeremiah is weeping over the condition of his people. He's lamenting. That's what where the title Lamentations comes from. But in the midst of his despair, look what he says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. Actually, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So, listen, when are you going to get some new mercy? In the morning, right? Why? Great is your faithfulness. You can count on daily mercy because God's faithfulness is great. Isn't that awesome? Again, I said this recently, but, but God has built, built 
mercy into the rhythm of our lives. And every day there are new mercies to, to give us what we need to get through the day and live in a way that honors and glorifies Him. Every day, God gives us new mercies. And that's so very important. You've had a bad day. You've had a day where you've stumbled and fallen and done some things you shouldn't have done and, and messed up and blown it. Hey, confess it to God. Give it to Him. Ask Him to cleanse your heart. Get right with God. Draw back close to Him. And then guess what? The next morning, new mercies waiting on you. Isn't that awesome? What a wonderful reality. Why? God is faithful. Here's the next thing about His faithfulness. We can worship Him with great joy. Turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Somebody just told me, I can't remember who, that their child is memorizing Psalm 100. Who is that? Somebody in here? Somebody told me that. Anyway, cool. Psalm 100. Look in verse 1. Make a... Joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates, here it is, with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. So why should we praise? Why should we give thanks? Why should we bless His name? Look in verse 5. For the Lord is good, and His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. So why should we show up on a Sunday excited to worship? Because God's love endures forever. His faithfulness never comes to an end. Isn't that awesome? And that should get us excited. He is worthy of worship and praise for so many reasons, but He is worthy of worship and praise because of His faithfulness. We can worship Him with great joy. But listen to this, same psalm. Because he is faithful, we can point our children to him. Look in Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So God is not only faithful to my generation, God will be faithful to the next generation that places their trust in him. And the next generation that places their trust in him. And the next generation that places their trust in him. God is faithful in every generation. Here's what that means. It means that we can look our kids in the eyes and say, follow Jesus, love him, live for his glory. And I can tell you on the authority of God's word that he will be faithful to you. You can trust him every step of the way. Every season of your life, you can trust him because just like he's faithful to your mom and dad, he's going to be faithful to you. He's promised it. It's who he is. And so we can with confidence point our children to Jesus. Now listen to me. If we're not pointing our children to the God who is faithful, who or what are we pointing them to? All other ground is is shifting sand, isn't it? We want to give them that firm foundation in this life of knowing and serving and walking and talking with the God who is faithful, who never changes. Here's the, here's the cool thing. I know that if I'm around, God's going to be faithful to my kids. If I'm not around, guess what? God's going to be faithful to my kids. I can trust Him with their lives. And so... Because God is faithful, we can, with great confidence, point our children to 
him. And here's the last thing, and and we'll close down. There's a lot more we could say, but we're going to close with this. Because God is faithful, we can have confidence that he finishes what he starts. We can have confidence that he finishes what he starts. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, but while you're turning there, let me quote for you Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says that God who began a work in you will complete it. He'll bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is this, if God began a work in you, if he saved you, he's going to finish his work. He's going to do a work in your life and make you more like Jesus. He's going to sanctify you. Then one day he's going to bring you home to heaven. He's going to finish what he started. I'll never forget one day this, this lesson of finishing what I started was driven home into my life. Dad uh, gave me the, the chore of, of mowing the yard. And we lived way out in the country and we had a, a big yard. And uh, so I was on the riding lawnmower and I mowed and I weeded it and I did all of that. And after I was done, I was getting ready to put up the lawnmower and all that, but Dad came out for an inspection. I hated the inspections. And he began to look around, and he found these two little sprigs of grass, you know, way out, you know, by the edge of our property line. And he said, wait, get back on the lawnmower and mow up that grass. So I got when I mowed the grass and, and got that little section. And you say, wait, that's kind of extreme that your dad would do that. No, he was trying to teach me to finish what I started. But isn't it interesting that God... Because he is faithful, always finishes what he starts. That's just who he is. He always completes what he starts. So if he initiated a work in your life, if he saved you, guess what? He's going to finish it. He's going to keep working on you in this life, and then when it's all said and done, you die or he comes back, he's going to take you home to heaven. He's going to finish what he starts. That's what Paul says over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look what he says in verse 23. Closing down with a benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, change you and make you more like Jesus. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. There it is. He will surely do it. Love that. Paul's saying, my desire is that now that you know Christ in a personal way, he would change you and make you like Jesus. And one day, he'll keep you and bring you home to heaven. And I know he's going to do it. I know he's going to come through. I know he's going to finish what he started. Why? Because he is faithful. He's going to finish what he starts in your life and in my life. And we can take that to the bank because God is faithful in his character and his nature. Let me close with this quote from A.W. Pink, and then I'll take a couple questions before we pray and close. A.W. Pink, in summarizing his chapter on the faithfulness of God, says this, He, God, never forgets, never fails, never falters, never forfeits His word. Let me say it again. He never forgets, never fails, never falters, Never forfeits his word. In other words, God is faithful.